in listening to word and blog podcast with your life yeah not for me i like it (laughs) (laughs) hello everybody and welcome to the fifth episode of word and blog the podcast dedicated to the uk edition of the office with me the only night that he's got is a condom it's danny (laughs) that's uh, the joke i'm saying the joke works and muchos tequilas later it's seth oh no that's your line (laughs) he's a permanent member of staff but it doesn't mean he should have to do his own filing it's jack because we're living living in a crazy maze. Money don't make his world go round. Okay, so we're here today to discuss the fifth episode in the series, and this is, well, it's called New Girl, but I always think of it as the Chasers episode. Yeah, yeah. me too. Remember, these episode titles were invented by Netflix. In actual fact, it's just called episode five, if you actually look at the box. <laughs> is that true? I yes. Thought... I think they're mythical, these titles. Ne- Netflix, Netflix, <laughs> Netflix invented them. They have kind of gone down in canon, though, because they're on IMDb, they're on Wikipedia, so, I mean, they are kind of just starting to be accepted as the original titles, which is a bit of a shame, because, yeah, New Girl is a terrible title for this episode. I think episode five works better. So I yeah. think the, the reason you think quite strongly about this, if I'm right, is remember when we did that quiz in Brixton? Yep. And you were basically heckled off the stage <laughs> by referring to it as, uh, what was that? I can't remember, but you were referring I referred it... to it. There was a quiz where people had to say what line and what episode it came from. And I, to make it easier for everyone, I tried to give the episode titles, but I had to clarify, this is the Netflix episode. <laughs> so if you want to just oh, remember man. it's episode five, season one, then that's your call. You're quite finickety, these, uh, these yeah. office fans. Yeah. They're a different breed. I had to They're go obsessive, and... aren't they? <laughs> Because presumably the new girl it's referring to is Karen Roper, right? And oh, she, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. But she's, she's yeah. never in it again. Well, she's in it in the next episode, but then that's it. So there's no point to, to, to dedicate a whole title to her when she's only in two episodes and then disappears again. They should have called it, yeah, Chasers or Night Out or something. I mean, yeah. this is a, it is a bit of a weird episode for me, this one, because I, I feel like not a lot actually happens in this episode. And it could be seen as a bit of a post-training come down. It's a bit of a crash. It's like, <laughs> uh, it's not quite as good, is it? But I think legitimately, in its own right, it's a great episode. I love the chasers scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some of the most awkward moments in the whole show are in this episode, and particularly happen in Chasers. Chasers is great, isn't it? The way that they depict that, the, the bottom of the barrel nightclub yeah. that you get the, with all the dregs of society. And it's so realistic. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've all been in one of those nightclubs in Watford, like Oceania yeah. or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Chasers stuff definitely saves this episode. Not saves it, but yeah, it, it makes this episode, because yeah, cause to, to, it, it has a lot to live up to after after training. And, to, and I mean, to repeat what we said last week, to think about how influential, important that training episode was and how it really set the, set the agenda for the whole series. You could almost be like, you know, let's get it out of the way episode. But, you know, the, the Chaser stuff definitely saves it. Could have been, could have been the Stuart Foot of The Office, but, but the Chaser stuff definitely saves it. <laughs> but, I mean, for me, this episode basically picks up where episode two left off. Because yeah, after episode yeah. two, you have the standalone episodes, the quiz episode, and the training episode, which are just like standalone They're very episodes. Insular episodes. Yeah. yeah. So this, Whereas, yeah. And this episode is very much continuing on episode two's theme of sexism being the dominant theme yeah, of the episode true. again. And then, in fact, in my mind, I used to sometimes get confused between stuff that happened in episode two and stuff that happened in episode five yeah. because they're so similar well, thematically. You even made that, they're you the even... two sort of Donner episodes, really. Well, you yeah. even mentioned the bit about rolling around with other women in episode two because you were confused yes. what happened in that yeah. episode because yeah, they've done so well. I kind of felt like they had so much to pack into that episode mm. too 
that they've almost strung it across two episodes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This episode feels like a bit of a Frankenstein of bits and pieces that they couldn't necessarily make into an episode in its own right. Also, the way I felt about Brent after watching the fourth episode, I feel like I'm taking a step back because I feel like I grew to love him a bit more in episodes three and then episode four. And it's like two steps forward and one step back now because seeing some of the CD characteristics in this episode. Oh, God, the, the, the interview scene with Karen, it really, really like usually I defend Brent. I'd say oh, he's just a plonker. He's just trying to make people laugh, but he's not actually doing any harm. But that scene with Karen is so awkward. Like the, the interview scene, he's, he's so seedy and like kind of predatory in that in that scene. It's similar to a scene I saw. I can't remember. Jack, you'll probably remember this better than me because you talked about it a bit in the first podcast, I think. It's very similar to a scene from either CD Boss or this kind of pilot bit where he does some very similar things like the um perfume from the magazine yeah 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 right? definitely yeah yeah he's more of a seedy character then and he's not so seedy here he's he's you know he's still harmless oh Brent. he is he is there's one point when he puts the cv on the floor so he can look up her skirt this is the thing there is still some i was i mean you could say it's only f series one they're still trying to find a character but there's only two series so they're halfway through establishing the character itself but there is still some inconsistencies a little bit isn't there we talked about how in episode one to episode two they really kind of seem to smooth out the creases in the character and kind of in episode two they were just kind of the balls rolling and they really understood the character maybe having worked through it in episode one but there is still these little drops of inconsistencies. Yeah, like looking up, trying to look up Karen's skirt, which he definitely does. There's no doubting it. He is very, very kind of seedy and, and predatory in, in, in that scene. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Whereas in yeah. episode one, it's like, I wasn't. Yeah. But he yeah, yeah. did he it, does it again then. Yeah, 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 yeah. The really weird thing I found for He's me got watching a bit of a history it, track record with. For me watching it this skirt. time around <laughs> recently, the weirdest thing was not almost what's actually going on in the episode, but how different I felt about it than I did when I first watched it. I don't know whether it's because I'm looking at it with more of an analytical mind or whether the world has changed so much that actually this is so much more uncomfortable to view than it was back in the day. Do you know what I mean? Since because, all the sort of Me Too stuff yeah. and all this is massive now. Yeah. And it, I mean, obviously it was then, but I feel almost guilty for not recognising it as bad you know, before. Karen Roper essentially comes into that office and gets hit on and then headbutted. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the only scenes where I don't really like Brent momentarily. Mm. Normally I'm quite fond of Brent and like I've got a soft spot for Brent and I get Brent and yeah. you know you know in certain situations the inner Brent in me comes out but in that situation I just feel like he's being very but sleazy. Do there. you think you you had such a distaste for it back in the day or do you think it's more no a 2018 uh, yeah, lens? Yeah, yeah. I think, I maybe, think it's definitely maybe. out. We've kind of obviously we're older now we're in our 30s as we keep saying but it's also you know in the past year there's been the, you know the Me Too stuff. And back in 2001, the whole culture was different. It was all very much, we were just coming out of the 90s. We were just coming out of, you know, kind of, you know, the Gallagher's, you know, the Royal Family and, you know, two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. The whole kind of like lad, lad culture where it was easy yeah. to just say, oh, you know, it's just a bit of banter. It's locker room talk, you know, kind of thing. They're just, they're just messing around. It's, there's, there's nothing... <laughs> but then, yeah, you know, the whole, there's, you know, oh, there's nothing dangerous about it. It's just a bit of banter. But looking back at it now, yeah, the way Donna flinches away from Gareth when he's about to touch her, uh, the way Brent, the way Brent looks up Karen Roper's skirt, it is very like, yeah, this isn't just. It might be banter between the guys, and I'm sure, I'm sure neither Gareth nor Brent would have pulled a Harvey Weinstein on either of them in the office and kind of, you know, tried to try to do anything, you know, too far. But the fact that it made those women feel so uncomfortable, you watch it back with that eye now, going, yeah, this isn't, 
forget about if, if Gareth and Brent thought it was just a bit of banter. They obviously, Donna and Karen obviously didn't. So you kind of do see it a bit through that perspective now. It's one big boys club. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, as we sit here today, we've got four episodes out. We've just released training yesterday and it's going really, really well. We even had a, a retweet from uh, Lucy Davis. Yeah, it was a great moment. She didn't actually listen to it yet. <laughs> I know. Good. Didn't want to do next. Dawn's got some great moment in this, in this episode though. So hopefully she'll listen to this and keep retweeting. If not, I'll just go on my Twitter and just say, Dawn, I'm fed up. <laughs> Keep the dream alive. I'm fed so, up, to be honest. At least that way, when she doesn't tweet, we can say, well, at least we tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now we're doing this for the fifth episode, and um, we've had some amazing reviews so far, amazing feedback. Everybody's been really cool. A bit of the feedback that we had um, was that there was one of us that sounded like they were in a well. So I'm assuming that's you, Seth. Probably, and you probably noticed that this week I'm slightly less well-like mm. in my in my voice. Well. They let me well. back in the country. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, Always good to see you back in England, but you know you really should phone ahead. Uh, I, think, ahead. I think your parents are going to lock the doors. Yeah. Are you finished here? Yeah, yeah. You still, it's, it's still, it'll, it'll still come back. Let's see. So this episode starts with Tim basically confirming his decision that he made at the tail of the last mm. episode, saying that he's absolutely going to quit. And it's Gareth basically making fun of him. Oh, hang on. We haven't done a synopsis. Do we need to do that this time? Focus. Or can we just sack that off because it didn't work sack last it off. time? It didn't work yeah. last time. Yeah, right. and they all know. Let's face it. If you're listening to this thing and you don't know the synopsis of the episode, you just turn off now. Well, there's basically, no point. in short, uh, there's a new girl and they go to chasers. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, that one experiment, that one experiment we did of, of, of feedback to listener uh, suggestions, we did it for one week. I thought, fuck it. The IMDb one's bollocks. I don't know if you've Is had it bollocks? a look at it. So yeah, basically, yeah, you're right. David Brent hires a new secretary, Karen Roper, even though he's going to have to, he's supposed to be making cutbacks. And then the lads go out to chasers. Everything coalesces at the end. Put your hands together. There you go. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. We all just Easy, put our hands it? together there. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. All right. Cool. So, so yeah, as you're saying, James, it, it cuts in with Tim still committed to his decision of being a psychologist. Absolutely. Does any of you watching this ever actually think Tim's going to follow through and do this? No. No, I do not know And that's the problem with Tim, isn't it? As we've discussed in quite a lot of length before, he's like a bit of a, I don't know if anti-hero is the right word, but he's, if anyone's the hero, it's Tim, but he's not really a hero mm. because, you know, he is apathetic and you do want to slap him sometimes because Tim is only really doing this because of what happened with Dawn last time he wanted to he had the you know silver lining vision of riding off into the sunset with mm. Dawn and now he's kind of got almost awkwardly stand by his decision well, the thing is he hasn't because later on in the episode he says oh I just need to actually hand in my notice to make it official so he's not even so you it. know he's it's not again he's just notice. talking but watching it back and seeing and, and, and watching this scene again I kind of wish he would make that decision because you can see kind of it's starting to the, the job Wernham Hogg and David Brent are starting to rub off in him a bit there's a there's a, there's a couple of Brent's Brentisms and Brentish kind of like facial um, facial movements have come out in this scene, especially when he's talking back to Gareth when he's trying to get that little one over on Gareth. I'm leaving uh, to go back to university to learn about more than the price of OptiBright laser copy paper. You know. Two ninety eight a gram, two forty a gram. Check the list. <laughs> and that's very, that's very Brentish, isn't it? So it's all it's all starting to rub off on him a bit. It's starting to turn into Brent, which kind of which kind of hints at hints at the next episode where kind of he almost. Yeah, he becomes full Brent, and it start, it's starting mm. here in this episode. So it's almost like Tim's got to get out now, or he never will. Well, get out now and save us all a bit of time. <laughs> <laughs> the next scene is when we get Donna coming in, and it's clearly sort of midday. Uh, Gareth challenges her initially. So then Brent comes in, and yeah. what is it he says? Who am I? Who Dixon am I? Dot Green. 
Yeah. Did, you know? Did any of you guys know? No, no it's such an old reference. And in fact, yeah, I've adopted that as one of my phrases. Yeah, but that's it's not based from, on that. That's not from Diction of Doc Green, though. That's yeah. from Brent. Yeah. And please pronounce it like my worms, you know. <laughs> it's not from the two volumes, even though it's classic stuff. <laughs> David Brent, I'm quoting David Brent, quoting the uh, oh, man, I, two volumes. One thing I was wondering is, if Donna's late, Surely that means Ricky's late, doesn't it? Like, why is why is Donna late, but Ricky wouldn't be? Maybe Ricky's she went home afterwards, there, isn't he? Yeah. So maybe he went in a bit earlier, and she said, "Oh, don't worry, Ricky. Will, uh, sorry, uh, David will let me off." And, yeah. uh, and you know, once again, what is her actual working status, Donna? Because it's not actually really made clear. We've had people writing in saying it's work experience. Maybe she's a temp, but it seems to me like it's a fairly casual arrangement. Yeah, it's just Brent doing a favour to to his friend Ron's daughter, isn't it? Yeah, he's not offended with her not being uh, being late to work. It's more that she stayed out all night, and this opens up into a brilliant. Basically, when we start to see behind Brent's approach to women and how he feels yeah. about sex. You stay with a friend. That's fine. I'm a little bit annoyed at her parents for not calling me and his just saying his parents, his parents, it's a bloke, so what? Come on, God. Chill out, shall we? Please. He's quite prudish and sexually neurotic, Brent, and it's, it really opens that can of worms this episode. Mm. And, um, you know, there was a question of whether or not David Brent is a virgin. Well, it does make Has he ever wonder. had a sexual... I think he's a very sexually, at the very best, he's a very sexually unsuccessful man. And he's that an really, experience really comes across best. in this episode. Well, he's not for the one of trying. I mean, he does try, you know, wasted an hour on that girl later on in this episode. But when yeah. sober, he finds it incredibly hard to talk to women. And he's quite prudish, actually, even. Well, he's not, he's not like, cripplingly uh, awkward around women. Like, he's able to, like, at least put the moves on to Karen when she comes into the interview room. Maybe that's because he's got the power over her, I don't know. But I think it's more... You can see with, with with Donna in the first in the second episode and in this episode and going on to series two with the Welsh woman Trudy. I think it's more people women who are sexually like, have their own sexual agency. He's very old fashioned. He thinks that it should be the men that are forward and the men that are kind of sexually autonomous. And if it's and and when it's a woman, he just can't deal with it. He doesn't know what to do. Donna knows that she can push his buttons with it because he she basically ends the conversation by being overly. By overly sharing what's going on, he would he would much prefer if she just said, "Oh yeah, we slept on the floor at my girlfriend's house." Yeah, yeah. But she keeps pushing him because she's basically no. But that's to prove not that's not Donna pushing him. That's him pushing her. She's almost like annoyed that Brent's had to push her to that place, and she's like, "Right, if this is what you want to hear, you force me to do it. Like, if 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 this is what you want to get out of me, what do you want from me?" Kind of thing. You're right that when she turns to the camera, it's kind of a last resort kind of thing. Yeah. But she is pushing Brent, and she's trying to. She wants him to confront the issue. Yeah, 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 but yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's more that she's kind of she's she's so humiliated that he's pushed her into that place. He's like, right, I'm going to humiliate you then, and I know what's going to humiliate you. I'm just going to say this in front of the office and show you that I'm not embarrassed about this, even though you are. Was it no? Wasn't anyone in the office? Was it? It was actually. So, I slept with somebody in the office. office everybody. <laughs> There's also some great face acting from uh, from Lucy Davis's Dawn in this. Like, if, if you if you watch it back, just watch her face. Like, she's so she doesn't she does say. I mean, she obviously has that whole back and forth with. Uh, you couldn't stay at mine with with Brent, but just when she's not and she's just listening, her face is brilliant. Like when 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 Donna finally says, "I slept with someone in the office," everyone she does this like oh cringy face because she knows how Brent's gonna react to that. She's the one he turns to to sort of see whether the laugh the landed. Yeah 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 yeah. Well, because Do because Dawn, as we've seen, is the only person that he's really kind of as comfortable as he can be around a woman with. So, like, mm. when he, he he's it's almost like he's checking back with her to make sure it's all right that he's saying these things. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. She's she's the uh, the barometer, basically. What's acceptable to yeah. say? But then he Again. makes that weird Freudian slip about if I'd got off with, got off at. <laughs> <laughs>
There's, it's really on his mind no. in this episode. Sex is is on his mind in one way or another, and I think his insecurities are all bubbling up. Yeah, he may or, he may or may not be a virgin, but he's not had any luck for a very very long time. Well, he says at one point, you know, uh, he couldn't pull in a brothel. I can and I have. So surely that means he's yeah, not but a that was just a drunken defensive yes, comment. But he, has to tell he wasn't Finchy, thinking about what he was saying. <laughs> he has to tell Finchy that he has at one point had sex. So that tells me he doesn't have sex very often. And also to 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 argue against that whole. I have pulled, I could pull in the brothel, and I have. He also says in another episode, I would never pay for it. So that kind of contradicts it, doesn't it? So well, no, there's I a stalemate there. Maybe it just means I have had, I have pulled before. Well, no, yeah. technically, if you pulled in the brothel, you wouldn't have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Has <laughs> yeah. anyone out there ever pulled in a brothel? Yeah. Email can him. Can they yeah. say whether they pay for it or not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Was it a metaphor? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, the, the, the sexual politics of the whole thing all carries on into him meeting Karen as well. And he does that when, when Karen comes into to interview to be a secretary. And straight away, you can see the way he reacts with between him, between her, Karen, and, and the, the male candidate, Stuart. Is this, it's just a gulf between it, isn't it? It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's probably one of my favourite bits in this episode, actually. I love yeah, the chase stuff, but in terms of the stuff that goes on in the office. And um, who is it? It's obviously... Um, Oh god, what's his name? Robin Inn. Robin Inn. One of Ricky Gervais's famous, uh, yeah, regular victims, along with Carl Pilkington and and uh, what's his face, the editor, taping Nigel. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that that is fantastic because obviously he sat there, and this goes back to the, what we were talking about before about how different times were. That you could, I mean, I don't know. Do you think ever? I mean, is this a, this is obviously a caricature of how bosses acted, obviously. But do you ever think it was quite so blatant? Yes. It, when when interviewing for a secretary, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Robin uh, Stuart Foot never stood a chance. I think yeah, people do still hire people because they find them attractive. It's not like that. It's not reasons. like that. Sexism is they gone now. They're so open about it though. So it was, pretty, <laughs> it was pretty brutal though to yeah. poor old Stuart Foot because obviously but, he, Brent comes out and you, he's got to take a photograph, or rather he doesn't have to. Dawn does, but obviously he wants to do it. Because he, he wants to take a picture of Karen. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and he's just coming off the back of his awkward encounter with Donna, where his sexual. Um, yeah. In neuroses and insecurities have been sort of prodded and revealed so to, the, to the office. This. Yeah, so he goes into this, maybe seeing Karen as like young and you know, reasonably attractive lady. It's like it's an opportunity. Reasonably attractive. Sorry, he's realistically attractive. You can't put yeah. reasonably attractive. The irony is we're talking about sexism. <laughs> I know. I mean, there are... What's her name? Nicola Cotter. I still Cutter. think, to this day, there are certain jobs that stereotypically, like, you, if, if you're like a middle-aged male boss, you're looking for a PA, you'd be looking to hire like a pretty woman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Stuart, like I said, Stuart Foote never stood a chance. Yeah, middle-aged male boss wants a female secretary. That's just how it goes. So he's just taking the pictures and uh, he says, oh, we're going to do Stuart first. Yeah, let's get him out of the way. Brilliant. Poor bastard. Imagine going yeah, into an interview with someone just said, let's get you out of the way. What so you just... Yeah, no, yeah. And then Brett's attitude throughout the whole oh, interview, he just does not give a so oh, yeah, he's sat opposite Stuart and he's just let Stuart roasting on these coals. And Stuart's just sat there in silence. Brent sat there in silence. And of course, he leaves it for Stuart to break the silence. Yeah. I mean, under what circumstances would Stuart have got this job? Do you know what I mean? What could he possibly have said? Well, he doesn't want to get... He, if I think if Karen Roper had just got up and said, actually, I don't want a job, I don't want to be a secretary, and walked out before the interview, it's like, I, don't, I still don't think he would have given No, he would have carried on looking. He would have carried on looking. So, I mean, so we don't see the end of um, Stuart Foote's interview, but obviously then we move on to what it's all about for David, the big interview of the day, and he starts by what, shuffling the chairs around, moving them around. Yeah, and don't forget, he gets the little bit of perfume off yeah. the magazine. <laughs> oh, GQ, himself, yeah, GQ or whatever. Exactly. And then he does, a yeah. he does a couple of scenarios. You can see him working through a couple yeah, of scenarios, like standing by the window, yeah. turning around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, like, how do, I I, how do I pitch myself to make myself look like powerful like, and sexual, basically? Like the sage that he wants to be. 
Yeah, he's practicing his his performance for when the cameras are on in the interview, not realizing that the cameras are filming him through the blinds. Yeah, which has got shades of like you said earlier, uh, Seth, the 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 CD Boss short that they did, where yeah. there's these shots through the blinds of, of of the CD Boss, the David Brent character at the time, not realizing the cameras there, and he's putting on makeup and stuff. And obviously, in this, it's a bit different. It's less uh, it's less kind of out there, and all he's doing is kind of like getting getting ready to you know flirt with Karen. But there's still there's those kind of like it's those kind of candid shots. But actually, for a mockumentary, they don't really exploit that in the in the office. They don't really do many shots where the characters don't know the cameras on them, like they did in the CD Boss thing, where it caught him putting on lipstick. But they don't. They kind of they don't really do much of that voyeuristic candid stuff. Yeah. Mm. The American office does, and you're really, yeah, I'm really glad you brought it up because it, it does give you a completely different persona for Brent, doesn't it? He's, but I'm glad, yeah, but, but I'm glad they don't do that because it's, it's kind of cheap comedy, and I think they learned from doing the CD Boss short that, yeah, that's kind of, you know, you get a laugh out, a cheap laugh out of it, but it's a bit too cheap, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but, I mean, do you think this scene, like, because maybe it's from the pilot, do you think maybe that's why it feels a little bit out of place, a little bit incongruous? Mm. Doesn't, it doesn't seem in keeping with David Brent. Well, it is drawing, character. as you say. It was drawing from an earlier incarnation of Brent. Yeah, the whole scene is. Yeah, you're right, Seth. Yeah. It's yeah. like with the post-it notes. I feel like this is a nasty side of Brent that we very rarely see. Well, yeah. I took it just as his insecure side because he's so he's so rattled. It, see, I jarring. see it as more predatory than that. I, I I think it harks back to what Jack said actually in the very first episode of our podcast, which was, is this the character that Ricky and Steve wanted David Brent to become? And I feel like this this whole this is CD Boss that we're seeing in this scene. This isn't David that we know and love from the rest no. of the two series. And it's almost like they felt that that CD Boss scene and dialogue and the whole piece was too good to lose. And they've sort of shoehorned it into this episode as a I, I don't know. And you're right, Danny. It does feel like a bit of an afterthought for me. Uh, and yeah. it doesn't sit well with me this side of Brent. Yeah, because he's so prudish, you all normally, and yet here yeah. he's being all yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't well, quite think, sit right. This is probably the most comfortable he'll ever be with a woman. In his office, she's got to impress him. Yeah, she's, yeah, that's the thing. He's got the power here. Yeah, cards, he yeah. holds all the cards. She's literally a captive audience, and he, you know, her. He's like uh, Caesar's thumb, up or down. Yeah, 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 yeah. He has to impress him, otherwise she doesn't have a job. So that's why she agrees to meet him for a drink later at Chase's. That's why she, you know, indulges him with, you know, the conversation about whether he, he drinks cider, lager, or beer or whatever it is. So <laughs> okay. obviously he, um, he, he's he's halfway through doing this interview with um, terrific. He's, interview. Yeah, he's halfway through, through doing <laughs> this interview with horrific interview with Karen, and she seems genuinely off put and uncomfortable by she him. She does look uncomfortable. She does a very good. The actress said very good, and she does a very good uncomfortable face. You feel really? her discomfort. She does a very good job. Once again, another example of The Office's amazing ensemble cast, where mm. every single performance is very, very good. Yeah, really well calibrated to like to fit in with the kind of the natural documentary style, so that you could think it's a real documentary. But yeah, but Brent is straight from The Office. He's well, like we said, predatory in this scene, isn't he? Yeah. He takes, and he takes two opportunities to look up her skirt and her, her legs. He looks at the CV and he kind of just, he, he, his head kind of like gazes up the CV and up to her legs and goes, just looking this over. And he like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, and then when he puts the CV on the floor, he goes, just putting this on the floor. And as he looks, goes back up again, he looks up and tries to look up <laughs> at her legs again. It's ridiculous. He's so out of touch with reality as well. Does he think he's being charming uh, mm. during this interview? I think he does. Know? Yeah, I just genuinely think he does. That's why, that's why I think in defense of him, he's not being, he doesn't realize in the moment that he's being predatory. He thinks I'm being charming. She likes this, you know, which yeah. is obviously which is the step towards being predatory, you know. That's what you know. Yeah. But in in some kind of defence to Brent, you could say that yeah, he's not. He just thinks he's being charming. He doesn't think that he's being predatory. He doesn't see how he's being predatory in any way. 
we're gonna we're gonna leave that there. <laughs> yeah, we're getting on to that. That is a hot topic, especially in 2018. So yeah, maybe we should step around it and just leave that there. You remember thing the positive things. You don't remember the bad. Like when we think about Brent. I mean, before we watched these episodes as closely as we have been for the last few weeks, this bit was out of my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this bit was out of my mind because I. I it, <laughs> I remember the free love, free well. I remember the, oh, the motivational speech. I don't remember the bad bits. No, take that bit out. You know, <laughs> where it hits a woman in the face with a football. Oh, well, that's the next scene. That's, that's the next bit. When, you know, he doesn't hear her in the face with a football. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Well, it's not very clear what's actually like what's actually supposed to happen. Is he supposed to have accidentally slipped forward on the ball or something? Yeah. Like, how did he get into that position? I don't really know. Well, the choreography is of it's a bit clumsy, and I think they knew that it was going to be, so they, they positioned the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It I mean, doesn't quite, it doesn't quite look realistic when you watch it. But anyway, it gets the point across that he slipped yeah. and he's headbutted her, which yeah. is a terrible end to an already awkward situation. Oh. Just adds this whole new layer. It ramps it up to a degree that it's never quite been turned up to before. Like an actual, you know, physical... Yeah. But it's just, what's he doing with the football anyway? It's just ridiculous. As as Karen's signing the thing, she's about to leave, and Brent comes out with the football, just one more chance to impress her. It's ridiculous. And he says, he's Brent's on the ball, just rope it to beat. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? We talked about The Office, how quotable it is, right? And how there's these sort of institutions around the world online of, of people that quote very specific areas. Just a quick shout out. There is a Twitter group called uh, Just Roper to Beat, <laughs> and it's football centric office quotes. Oh. So whenever a manager loses his job, or you know what I mean, there's an old team on the scrap heap. These guys are on it. Yeah, it just goes to show how deep the well of just office related stuff goes. Because Brentisms and people being like Brent are just they're out there. You can see it in every single person. You can see it in every politician. You can see it in every celebrity. You can see it in every public figure. There's just someone, but always, no matter how, no matter what walk of life they're from, no matter how cool this public figure is, at some point they're going to be like, a bit like Brent some, somehow. If it's in them, we'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Foote. So Tim's sitting there on his break and obviously Keith's with him. And basically Keith is probably the only one that's going to be blatant enough to raise the subject of Tim leaving mm. and embarrassed yourself with Dawn as well, didn't you? <laughs> and yeah. obviously Tim is trying to put his side of the story forward as well. And then, of course, we have the first of the famous, this is basically the first of the iconic Keith monologues in the break room. I watched that peak practice. Yeah, I've never seen it. Bloody repeat. Uh, it's annoying, isn't it? Not for me, I hadn't seen it. The Office, again, it's so great at just capturing these people that we all recognise and we, we can we all see kind of reflected in, in the show. But yeah, the, the, the Keith character of just someone who just kind of like, he just tries to make idle conversation, just the, the kind of casual conversation. Where, yeah, it's boring watching repeats, isn't it? Oh no, not for me. I hadn't even seen it. Like, why did you bring it up then? Why did you say it was boring? What are you doing? He's not got any pre-contrived like, ending for the conversation. Yeah, that's it. He just talks to talk, yeah. The brilliant thing about Keith as a character as well is, is because he obviously talks the way he does, you can almost they, they've used him clearly as in this situation as like a, a narrator that sort of the, the, that illustrates that oh yeah everybody he's talking to the audience effectively don't remember it don't forget in the last episode Tim yeah left, yeah and yeah, yeah. This, then he and then he talked to Dawn so it's just reminding everybody of the plot. <laughs> that's what it is yeah that's his function that's what it, that's kind of what it, I mean and obviously he get, we get great quotes out of it but it's it's the writing from Gervais and Merch it's like right we got to, we we got to put this in so that the audience remembers because this is important yeah, yeah just a bit a yeah. really useful character yeah. Throughout this episode, Tim's scenes were actually, I mean, we, we now see, I mean, we've, we've previously seen him as kind of like the, the prankster and the playful guy messing around with Dawn, but now he's kind of, he's 
as far as we know, he's kind of burnt his bridges of Dawn a little bit by asking her out. And we know he's thinking of leaving. So now his scenes are actually kind of really bleak. Like throughout this episode, we've got the scene where he's getting annoyed at Gareth at the beginning. We've got the scene where he's, this scene where he's just talking to Keith and Keith's just kind of mindlessly chatting at him. We've got the scene with Chase at the end where he's kind of just like going there and like obviously not enjoying it. The scenes with Tim are like really bleak and he's just surrounded by people that annoy him and remind him how much he hates the job. And it, it really, I thought watching it back this time, especially in, in order and kind of thinking about the fact that he's, you know, he's handed in his, he's thinking of handing in his notice. This scene, this episode really, I think captures really well that idea of just kind of being kind of like, kind of just serving your notice and just kind of like you're just waiting something out, whether it's a job or whether it's the last few weeks of school, yeah. last few days of school, for example, or the last few days of your job, but you're just kind of waiting it out and you're just like, keep your head down, clock on, clock off, don't look at Dawn because it's just too cringeworthy. Gareth's pissing me off, so don't look at him. Just ignore Keith because he's just bullshitting. Just, yeah, like, like I said, go to work, come home from work, put on Hat FM, just ignore everything. Well, he tries to ignore it, obviously, and, and he tries to sort of gloss over it with when he talks to do Keith about uh, the reason for the, you know, when he asked Dawn out. But obviously the next thing that we get is basically him in the break room. Dawn comes in and sits down, and it's a oh. bit of an awkward exchange between the two of them. But then they kind of agree, oh, yeah, we should go for that drink. And she leaves it in the next few weeks, like hinting, oh, like, it's not happening, you know, but just, just to try and try and maybe even try and, like, um, make him feel a bit better. Well, no, this is that. That's what it is. And then we just got these kind of, for, for the rest of it, what, up until he goes to Chasers, we just got Tim kind of just, we just got these awkward little fleeting moments with Tim and Dawn, just like Tim passes Dawn when she's working at the desk. And then there's the bit where he's making coffee and he just looks, and he just kind of looks at her and she's kind of just scribbling on a piece of paper or something. But again, it's just, yeah, so those, these just little kind of fleeting moments. But in previous episodes were like, they were a bit of like a highlight of the episode, like kind of, you know, gave you a bit of a, of a lift from the kind of, just the, the, the awkwardness and the cringiness of what Gareth and Brent were doing. Now it's just, it adds to the awkwardness because you're just thinking, oh God, Tim, what, what have you done, mate? I think they're equally important as the positive ones, though. Do you know what I mean? Because they, they obviously, they, they all form one big story together. So if it was always just sort of longing looks positively, you wouldn't have the, we wouldn't have the end product that we have. With yeah, them. of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you needed, as Brent says, you need you need the trough before you can go, go up the valley. Yeah, yeah. And so we kind of, we needed that. I, in, in, in script writing, it's called like the... the the dark night of the soul where like yeah it's just kind of it feels like it's it's it feels like it's it, it's big the end before it can pick up any fluids okay so the next scene is uh with gareth and donna doing some health and safety training i think gareth goes over to her and tells her about a seminar which yeah. makes it sound a little bit more grand than it is danny's just arrived where have you Pizza been pizza express what about beer express oh never mind Dixon did you get me green. one why didn't you get me a beer i thought you were driving anyway yeah who are we Dixon and dog green do you that were... twice we'll be banned from driving <laughs> danny anyway. what did he what danny what did you go out to get what was more important than this well no I, just, I thought you i thought we were on a little break so well just went to get we a beer we were on a break i was on a break i wasn't on a breakdown i i knew we were about to start talking about the health and safety scene and i hate this scene why, why do you hate this it. scene what's it's wrong just, with it i don't like it it's rubbish do you mean the whole storyline danny or just this one scene like the whole because obviously it builds up to that gareth and brent scene where i think i'd know if a woman living under my roof was rolling around with another woman sure you like that scene don't you oh i love it <laughs> but I, what I love more is the way it then cuts to 
for the Finchy scene, we see David Brent, the chameleon. Now Finchy's here, so he has to completely change. He can't be prudish around Chris Finch. I usually credit a chameleon. <laughs> Suddenly, yeah, he's just laughing at Finchy and he flips into lab mode with Finchy once again. Just literally like that. And as soon as it's Chris Finch, it's a different set of rules. Yeah. And because so um, it's Chris Finch, it's, it's not. It's and not actually, Finchy, Finchy, and actually, and yeah, actually, not, yeah, that's, Ga- that's Ga- sums him up. <laughs> Malcolm's right on that. I'm sorry. Ooh, and yeah, then, no, you're right. Malcolm yeah. is right on that. And actually, yeah. t- Finchy's story is actually a really horrible one you know it's vile and well it shows yeah. what his loyalties like he calls this guy yeah. and he sleeps with his girlfriend yeah yeah but do you think it's true is i think true? it's true this is what i was just about to say to you james i think i've i've always got the impression that these even what no matter what an arsehole finchy is these stories he tells i reckon have truth to them maybe not as, as 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 extensive as he or elaborate as he tells them but i think they have truth to them and we see from from this episode that he kind of he has luck with women when he goes out when he goes out to nightclubs and no one can hear him talk and he's just got kind of his his kind of his oily charm and charisma that he has people fall for it so i reckon but these stories he tells i reckon they're i reckon they are true but i reckon they've got truth to them well, well, sad, you, you sadly, say fall for it they know what they're doing don't they sadly in this world in this materialistic world chris finch is a winner right and mm. you know and, and, and these women are just trashed him. Yeah, but these women he's meeting at Chasers, they're not thinking, oh, this guy Finch is going to settle down with me. They know what they're getting as that as well. It's kind of, it's an equal thing. It's kind of, it, it's, it's, that, it's, it's that culture of people that go to, ch- go to places like Chasers. You know, they're all just looking for a one night thing. So, you know, fair play to Finchie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, he gets his pump action yogurt <laughs> rifle. But... <laughs> this scene is kind of, uh, is, is establishing the fact that they're going out to Chasers and that lasts for the whole, the second half of the episode. But, and it's and it's obviously Finchy telling the story to Gareth and and Brent, and then they invite they ask if Tim's coming out to chase as well, and Tim says yes. So my question is, why is Tim saying yes? This episode, after the bombshell of, of being um, rejected by Dawn in the previous episode, he's just kind of like just drifting through it, like just keeping his head down. So why does he agree to go out with 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 the lads on to to chases that night? I was thinking that myself. I don't know. I, I, the only conclusion I could possibly think of was that he is almost on the rebound, maybe. Dawn's knocked him back. He maybe needs a bit of a pick-me-up, but, I mean, he's looking in the wrong oh, he's place. He's bored as well, isn't he? He's bored in his life, so I it's can't... just something to pass t- the time. Yeah, Plus, t- it's t- ironic. T- maybe Tim's he wants ne- to be there to show the cameras around, actually, yeah, and show t- how funny it is. Yeah, yeah. Tim, Tim is never getting laid in chasers in a million years. He's I don't not, think he's... He's not, he's, he's, not, he's not a chaser's man. He's going no, there. He, 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 he's in there. He's got his coat on. He looks like he really... And he fights. But he's doing it for the people watching for the incentive. He's not part of it. He's watching it. Like At one point, he even hides, doesn't he? When, yeah, when Finchie and Brent are doing that really awkward like, hitting on those two girls, he, he literally goes down behind yeah. them and hides. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a spectator. We've now got a talking head from Tim, which is really good, because obviously he's deadpan about it. And basically, he's making a point that Finchie and Gareth and Brent are bottom of the barrel when it comes to culture. There's all these other things that are going on in Slough, but actually, they'll probably end up in chasers. And he knows for well they'll end up in chasers. And then, true to form, the next shot is a brilliant intro to chasers. All right, as you all know, making this podcast is a labour of love. We don't receive any bumps for it from you, so we rely on our commercial sponsors. So now, for a word from our sponsors. Cooper and Webb. Cooper and Webb was founded in 1997 by John Cooper and Sally Webb on the premise that whatever your performance management style is, from the rock and roll to the more traditional taste, we can offer motivational corporate seminars to suit your style. So maybe if you just sit down and relax as we select industry experts and offer them to you at competitive rates. But at Cooper and Webb, we aren't all about chasing the Yankee dollar. We take great pride in watching our experts as they do their motivational speech and you literally see them getting all motivated. 
Who's Cooper and who's Webb? Call now to book an appointment and find out. Cooper and Webb. Motivation. Education. Inspiration. The thing I love about Chasers, though, is that, that, that there's one in every town. Do you know what I mean? There's inevitably that pub that stays open late, or and it, it's really shitty and cheesy, and, and the, the is... DJ's gratuitous. It's just basically a, a just a pub, basically, but they just try to dress up as a nightclub, and they get all the people from work. That's down all. Down. That's, to me, that's all a nightclub is. But this is on. A, I mean, this is a Wednesday night. This. That's yeah, they they clearly do it quite a lot. Cause remember in episode one, they're talking about how much they had to drink the previous night, and I'm thinking episode one on a Thursday, Thursday yeah, because yeah. they go there every Wednesday, as Tim says. Well, no, and, and um, they all come and, in to and, work and, drunk. And and uh, Brent describes it to Finchy. He says Wednesday night Raz. Yeah. They're bi nightly. Yeah. Nightly, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's like it, it's a ritual, and he, he's seeing his two women from last week tomorrow, but he's still going out to chase us tonight. But, it, but to get it, more. it's a ritual to break up the monotony of their week, right? It's a working mm. week, and bang in the middle of that week, just in that boring, what do they call it, the hump day or whatever. Yeah, yeah. you go out chases, you get pissed, and you try and shag someone. You know, I honestly, I, I haven't been to a place like Chasers in a long. I have no business in a place like that. I don't drink anymore. <laughs> no I haven't drank in a long time, so I have no business in a place like that, as i said but i never ever want to set foot in a place like that again in my life and every time i see that chaser scene it gives me flashbacks to, yeah, yeah. to watford and as you were saying danny and i just think fuck brighton i remember that places like yeah that. brighton i've just seen it offers watford nothing on sea basically watford, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they are depressing like, we'll places. get emails danny yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know tim's comment is perfect about you know the ballets in town because they are like the death of culture, those places, yeah, yeah, aren't they? So you know, cultural black hole. There's a great um, article from Vice. I can't remember when it came out, but, but I, I remember first reading it a couple of years ago, which really digs deep into uh, the, 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 the Chasers Night Out from this episode. And it's got some really kind of just good descriptions of it. Like um, uh, it says here, we often talk about going out as an escapism, but clubbing in the office is an almost nihilistic form of this. Neither ambiguously, neither joyful nor depressing. The drinkers are still trapped uh, with the same people they work with, even when they try and get away from it all. It's completely real. That's yeah. such like a good description of, of what we're seeing yeah. here. It's just bleak and just, yeah, people going out to escape from work with their workmates in their work clothes. It's, it's just ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah, it's just an extension to the office. They might as well have gone to the working man's club down in the bottom floor. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's another quote that says that, that says that the, the whole scene just reeks. It says it reeks of a post-millennial malaise, which is something we've touched on. Just the whole well, the whole series just it touches on this kind of this post-millennium bug, post 1999, 2K kind of just like reflection of what are we doing like this is just like what are we doing with our lives kind of thing yeah it's a bit i find it a bit snooty though vice i found the article a bit snooty looking down the nose at slough probably never been there in their lives <laughs> don't even go out and drinking what, there and you work there what's the, what's the matter with them don't they like girls <laughs> well, is exactly the same though, double standards in a way just the queen Every, everywhere's the same these sat with, with slough windsor watford it's these it's 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 these satellite outside the m25 towns which are just they're trying to be Ministry of Sound. They're trying to be London, but they're not, and it's just like, it's, and it's and it's people, but it's, it's commuters who 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 go out to these, yeah, wanting wanting to be out in the big night spots in London, but they can't. They got to go to fucking Chasers in Watford or in or in you know Pinner. Even yeah. in London, it's probably just the same. Go to the bloody Vice Night Out, but it's just like the bloody Chasers. <laughs> <laughs> like Nathan Barley. Yeah, exactly. Right, don't yeah. slag them off. Exactly. All right, cool. So we've got them. When Finch is at the bar with David Brent, and obviously they, he goes over to start chatting up these girls. And to be fair, he has David with him as his sort of wingman. Well, he's yeah, the, but he's not. He's, he's David, less of a wingman and more of a. If put it this way, if David Brent man. wasn't there, Finch wouldn't Finchie care. Finch would be doing exactly Finchie's, the same. Thing. Yeah, he's irrelevant. Put that to on a t-shirt. He's, 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 he's If David wasn't there, Finchy wouldn't care. No, he's irrelevant. 
David Brent is irrelevant to Finchie, as he always is. But of course, David Brent, Finchie's anything but irrelevant but, to David. To be Brent. fair, Finchie introduces him. Dynamic. To be fair, I mean, in lad culture, Finchie's introduced him to the girls. He's 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 been a wingman there in, in many respects. If David hasn't got the you know the social skills to carry it forward and and make a move and make something of it, it doesn't mean Finchie's done any less. I mean, what is it? he says that the only knighthood he's got is a condom. Yeah, yeah, and Brent fucks it up. So <laughs> it's not that Finchie hasn't tried to get him in. Brent fucks it up by explaining the joke. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> Speaking of the social skills though, and the kind of the uh, the, the the barroom uh, presence. Whereas you can see Brent kind of stuck behind Finchie trying to get in, poking his little hand through the sh- their shoulders, going, you know, any one of these fine. Gareth, true TA soldier, scoping out his surroundings, goes around and goes to the girl on the end. Like, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, 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 that's true. Pincer movement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gareth. <laughs> the next shot we see is Finchie and David at the bar, and he catches sight of Donna on the other side of the bar, right? And... Donna, he, he what does he say? Oh, Christ, Christ, that'll that'll do. Do. Christ that'll and, do. and David instantly he had laughs. To snap into yeah, yeah. protective mode. He instantly again. laughs, but then he looks over, sees who it is, and thinks, "Oh crumbs, you can't talk like that about Donna." <laughs> <laughs> oh crumbs. Oh sorry. <laughs> oh sugar. <laughs> we'll do that bit again. Not believe I said no, that. That's the kind of thing my nan would say. <laughs> Danny looks like he's about to burst. <laughs> He's got veins on his head. Look. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Look. Oh, right, hang on. So David sees that it's Donna. And, oh, so David sees that it's Donna and realises, oh, shit, he can't talk about her like this because I'm the, supposed to be the protective one. So he begs and he pleads Finchie not to, like, uh, objectify Donna in the same way he allows him to objectify all the other girls in the club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, no. okay, I'm stop, stop. I'm going to get them up to water. Right now. Should we have a break? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> play, put, play the bridge. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll come back. <laughs> There's nothing funny about them. So the next shot we get is um, of Gareth basically standing on his own on in the middle of the dance floor and he looks so drunk. And he's that in that drunk state I'm sure we've all been where you can't, he looks like he doesn't really know where he is. And he's kind of like sort of stalking the dance floor almost. He looks like he's kind of just looking around like... Mm. I remember watching a thing once with uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant explaining how they, when they originally cast Gareth, yeah. they want, they, when they originally wrote the character, they wanted like a macho man, you know, like a proper like tattooed big muscles or something. And then when they got Mackenzie Cook and they said something about having this like bird-like vulnerability to him, yeah. they were able to give him more and more ridiculous and seedy things to say and do, but he was able to get away with him because he just looks so damn vulnerable. Well, this you is know? the thing. In this bit, he looks like, and he's so drunk, <coughs> and he's so vulnerable, and he looks so lost on the dance floor, on his own. He's a prime candidate for this biker woman to sort yeah, of yeah. prey upon. They've been kissing the whole night, and then Gareth's finally like, uh, who's that guy watching? He's like, oh, this is my husband, Paul. Paul, do you mind if Gareth comes back home with us? And Gareth's like, what? And <laughs> Gareth's outraged, isn't he? He stands up and he says, no, 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 no. not just another fella involved. But he's still sat there in the sidecar at the end. Oh, we'll come back to them. that because that's the, one of the best comedy cuts. <laughs> there's some great drunk acting by, by Gareth here, but there's some also, the next scene, there's some great drunk acting by Ricky Gervais when he goes over to Karen. He's such a good drunk actor, especially there's this little burp he does. It's just brilliant. Brent sees Ricky getting off with Donna, and obviously that's the big reveal, isn't it? When yeah. Donna and Ricky come over, and, and yeah, Donna yeah. challenges David Brent to say, "Have you got a problem with what? You got a problem with Ricky?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that that leads into the iconic "Not the Arse" scene. Because yeah, it She so goes. She says about how yeah, he finds right. sex so disgust, how he finds sex so disgusting, and he, having been talking to uh, this girl Lindsay for about an hour. He goes, well, you know, I will take her home if I want, if I want to. Like, I don't want to go. I can be successful. And then immediately she knocks him back. 
but he has to keep rolling and look all smooth. Like, you know, I don't want you to come home with me. Oh, and then, you know, he's pissed. He, he, he doesn't worse care. And, worse. Yeah, and yeah. then he gets the slap after, you know, and Finchie's just there doing one at the bum, not, no arm done, oh, just laughing God. at it. But, the thing but then he puts off. his hands out like he's doing a little movement. Oh, like no, a, that's so that's, bad. That, that's one moment where, again, I'd say, say this episode, it ramps up the discomfort to another level. The Karen Roper headbutt scene, yeah. the not up the arse. It's, it's some of the most cringeworthy television but, of all time and the worst part is Karen Roper's there for that yeah she's thinking, thinking I've got fucking lucky in that interview yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what she's thinking do you know what I mean because yeah. he's I mean no, the worst part is when Finchie not. says not up, no Finchie one says one up the bum, bum no, no I'm done and he's and then he has to clarify no not up the arse often when people when characters have to act drunk you often I almost feel like it it breaks the fourth wall. I don't feel quite yeah, like I believe it. Connected to it. Whereas yeah. with these guys, everybody who aren't acts drunk in this, they always seem to do a really good job. Maybe yeah, they actually they, get they drunk. They show you the dark side that people don't talk about. Alcohol is actually a depressant. Yeah. Alcohol is a depressant so and it, it makes it, people do stupid things. It, it like, leads you, know. you down a dark path. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not all like, oh, happy drunk, you know. It's like, ah. Uh, no, actually, it's not a happy you, drunk It makes you out. really miserable. And, it, and, it, and it's that night. too much of it. And it's that afterwards when Tim's leaving with Gareth. Sorry, no, when Tim's leaving with Brent and then he's like, um, oh, yeah. he, he says, he's like, oh, no, we're going somewhere else. And then, and yeah, then, and then Tim's it. like, you've just, you know, you're like, no, you've just, you realise what you've just done. Well, the thing is, this and is what probably life. happens. <laughs> oh, life. Oh, life. But this probably happens all the time, though. Don't yeah. forget that in the very first episode when he comes in and he talks about how they had a skin for the night before and Gareth's mates just had to leave because they couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's an exact carbon copy of this night. Yeah, this is yeah. how he gets every single time. Yeah, yeah. He probably embarrasses himself every night. That was what, that's what I was going to postulate. Do you think every every Wednesday Brent makes a twat out of himself? Or do you think that was particularly... I think maybe that was, maybe it's the Chuck Corner. Maybe the BBC made it look worse. This is maybe was. no. I think this is maybe. I think <laughs> yeah, no, they probably Corner filmed. He's just a plonker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably filmed him every Wednesday night for two months. Most of the time, you know, he's getting off with the girls. He's making charming <laughs> conversation with everyone. But the one time he does not be asked, they pick that. <laughs> they pick that out. Leave that bit in. But this is the thing. This is what I was going to ask. Yeah, the whole he spends the whole night looking forward to going to chases. Like it's really, really built up. He, keep, he invites out Karen. He keeps on mentioning it. But then we can see it's a shit club. It's a personal washout for him. So do you think that he's like actually enjoys it, or do you think he has to convince himself that every Wednesday he's gonna have a great night? Do you think he actually enjoys going there? He's a forty odd year old man with no wife or kids or anything in his life. He's like a quite a forlorn man. Yeah, and I think has to have these little things to make him think he's like social and successful. Yeah, the thing is, we, we've, we've, we don't need bumps to ask, him up. We don't need to theorise on this because we've literally seen it, haven't we? We've seen yeah. the first episode when he comes in and he says, I was a little bit drunk and yeah. you know, we know that he, he basically... He wears it as a badge of honour, like, look how drunk I was, yeah, look how exactly. I not I'm so cool and he, popular. He, this washes from his memory because there's nobody in this place of work to challenge him on it because he's the boss. Yes. And, and then they can't take him, he's the boss. He was anyway. a little bit drunk. Yeah, exactly. And, and basically this gives rise to another theory that's fairly popular and, and is that... Brent's kind of a borderline alcoholic, not a raging, yes. dysfunctional alcoholic, mm, yes. but a borderline alkie in the sense that, you know, he gets, you could argue, inappropriately pissed qu quite frequently, you know, for mm. most of the week, as I remember. You know, so, <laughs> um, so he's not, he's not a dysfunctional alcoholic, he's not, but he's borderline, like. Although he does have that booze in the office. For yeah, he has that, those little stubble. Yeah, but he, if there was any, sh if, if at any point while the cameras were there, he'd got, he'd sneak one out of the drawer and had a little little swig of his little stubby while the work day was happening we would have seen it that would have made it into the cut and that would have been a deliberate clue as well yeah so obviously we've got the end of the night and and it's one of those 
nights everybody knows what it's like when you're walking out of the club and you end up getting paired together one of you inevitably wants to go for another drink somewhere the other one just wants to go home and and they walk off into the night and this has become quite iconic as well like um him reading this poem it's become one of like the iconic scenes in the office canon i think come friendly bombs and fall on slough it isn't fit for humans now right i don't think you solve town planning problems by dropping bombs all over the place so he's embarrassed himself there next it's a bit like vice really it's john betjamin i think he's understood it perfectly <laughs> to be honest with you it's john betjamin sitting in his ivory tower slagging off slough <laughs> i've worked in slough it's a perfectly average town but for some reason it's just got this awful got this awful, awful rep. reputation yeah. yeah why is that it's because no of the office gervais and merchant just picked like a just really anonymous kind of satellite town oh just because it's not london on bloody netflix usa it says the london-based paper merchant it's not London, it's <laughs> Slough. I mean, it's, it's South uh, East, isn't it, Danny? It might as well be... Uh, get an Uber there, but it's not London. Get an Uber Yeah. What does that mean? Is that how it defines London now? Nowadays? Well, you the can fact that you Uber. can get an Uber. Is that how well, it works? I've got an Uber from Slough before, so it's <laughs> right. kind of London. I always way. thought inside the M25 is London. No. Yeah, that's how I consider it, kind of. Working for wood now, so that's London, Ish. by your definition. Well, yeah. Is Rickmansworth in London? No, because Rickmansworth's outside the M25. I'll be honest, none of this is going to make the cut. So let's just wrap it up. So how do we say what a brilliant episode? Okay, so well, that... it's not the best episode, but I think training is generally a great episode. the best. I think it's a good episode. Every episode I don't is think... great, but this is relatively less great. I, if I was to put this, if, I mean, I'm not. we'll probably rank them when we get to the end, You're end the of ranker, the series. You're the ranker, mate. <laughs> We'll probably rank the episodes when we get to the last episode, but I would say this is probably in the bottom half. I love. No, I love. No, you, you disagree? I, I can't. I can't rate The Office like that because I find, yes, the the Christmas specials and training are standout episodes, but every other other episode for me is is almost equally. They're all equal. There's a couple of standout episodes, and the other ones are all equal. You know, mm, I've always said that. But yeah, um, there, there are no right or wrong answers. Let me tell you the right answers <laughs> anyway. So, but I just I, like the Chaser stuff is brilliant, and and, and I think some of my fondest memories of the office. Yeah, but the, the, the Chaser stuff elevates it. That's great. But yeah, you could kind of because it's not training, because it's not quiz, because it's not the pilot, because it's not a season finale. You could think that it was filler, like like we thought with episode two. But in all of these episodes, there's just these little. You, you, so you, you find out that oh that great quote was actually from that episode or you think oh yeah I forgot the chasers the chasers stuff is it well this is the reason I kind of felt <laughs> that this is in my bottom half of the of the first series only because I feel like between this episode and the second episode with the uh, work experience they had one hour and a half or hour and a half length episode but they've kind of split it up and made it into two episodes but nonetheless like you say it's got some really iconic moments it's got some fantastic venture in there how many times when we've been out at a pub or club in the last 10 years have i recreated this scene yeah. not we are yeah pretty much every many time. many pretty times. Much in, in fact every it's probably time. worth apologizing to any girls that a conversation with when we've been out in clubs that Danny might have mentioned this too. It wasn't offensive, it was just a, an office quote. Yeah, I wasn't being lewd. <laughs> Let's get on with the quiz. But... Okay, right now, the quiz. I'm going to do it very quickly this week. Oh, yeah, where's my buzzer? Can I hear your buzzers, people? Wait, 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 wait. Say, say that again in a second. Hold Start on. from the beginning yeah, again, Danny. Me... Okay, we're doing the quiz now. Tell them we're going to do a live quiz next it. week. We're doing a live quiz next week. Start again. We're going to broadcast <laughs> it on Facebook. Wait, wait, Start wait, wait, wait. Start again. Okay, we're doing the quiz now. Yay! We're going to do a live quiz. quiz next week. So for all you people on Facebook, on the internet, you know, you know how to use the internet. Easy, isn't it? <laughs> we'll be um, broadcasting the quiz live as we do the podcast. Okay, 
Without further ado, and this is about the fourth time I'm doing this, <laughs> it's time for the quiz. They don't know that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this isn't recorded live. <laughs> We're having to do this painstakingly because everyone keeps laughing. So, let's get on with the quiz now. So, let's hear everyone's buzzers. Seth? You look like you've had a pot noodle and a wank. Actually, James. you have as well. Michael, <laughs> who, me next. James, yep. Don't get your Hamden cold. <laughs> and Jack. Right, fucking hell. <laughs> this seems harder than usual this Okay, right, now, come on. Is it because... Oh, right, 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 right. Question number one. Name the Desiree song that is Stuart Foote's interview. It's um, the whole question. It's called Life, isn't it? No, that's oh. incorrect. James. I didn't buzz. I, I don't know. Jack. Uh, yeah, I would have said Life. Sorry. No, it is Crazy Maze. Oh, I, I know. We're living, living. We're living in, in a crazy maze. maze. Yep, he sings, he sings um, life the at the end. Shoot. <laughs> so that's the correct answer. People all know the correct answer. Did anyone get it's the Crazy Maze. Oh, crazy right. Maze. So okay. no one gets a point. Dr. Wang is trying to get a point. <laughs> Question number two. What does it say on Gareth's desk when he makes Ricky wait for an answer regarding the invoices? Don't get your Hamden caught. James. Silence, genius at work. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're right Correct. as well. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> Next question. What is the first song that's on in Chasers? I want title and artist. <laughs> I heard uh, the pot noodle a wank first. Uh, pot, well, it's, it's um, Dane, Bowers, Dane Bowers and Victoria Beckham. Yep. And it's called You're Out of Your Mind. Correct. Correct. Yeah. No, it's actually True Steppers oh. featuring Dane Bowers and Victoria Beckham. Oh, come on. Oh. Oh. Danny, you're Danny, half point. Okay, well, you, you can to... both have a point. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, all right, all fair right. enough, yeah. yeah. So at least no one has to go home to get a book. <laughs> okay, <laughs> number four, what are the three women's names? Don't get caught. What three women's names? Right, it's Lorna. James knows. Lorna. Yep. Uh, Heather. Yep. And uh, Louise. No. Can anyone ask? I'll Lindsay. Yes. Oh. Only because you said it earlier, Danny. I never would have remembered that. Question number five. Which soldier used up all the penicillin in Gareth's anecdote? You look like you've had a pot noodle. Mark Paxton, sir. Mark Paxton, sir. (laughs) (laughs) That was a little finger battle between me and James. Everyone's on two points now. (laughs) So now two questions to go. Everything's good to play for. Question number six. What song is playing as Ricky enters the room and gets off with Donna? Don't get your Hamden caught. James. Uh, Spinning around. No. Oh, um, Jack. Uh, Fats and Smalls. Uh, I've got it. I've got it. Painted Love. Dum, dum, dum. All three of you are wrong. It's Rendezvous by Basement Jacks. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah. Can't remember that. Everybody is in a rendezvous. Oh, no, it's that song. Yeah. All right, can I get on with it? Go with it. I can't even remember that song. All right, that'll do, Dave. Come on, Dave. We don't edit this bit, so keep it. What's playing for Brent? As he's doing his not up the arse bit. No one. There's no one. Like that is Tony Love, one. isn't it? No, it isn't. What? There's definitely. You don't. You I don't know. I don't know. I'd have thought you Jack. guys would be right in the stand. You must have known. Um, is this spinning around by Kylie Minogue? No, no, it's Don't You Want My Love by Felix. Oh, this is All right, we don't. 90s dance tune. Quite obscure 90s dance tune. Yeah, so. We have got a draw now. Is that it? Oh, everyone, a three-way draw. A three-way Everyone's draw. a winner. Everyone we, is on. No, three... no, no. Yeah. So Danny, you've got to look through the book and pull out a uh, tiebreaker. 
You've not got a tiebreaker question? I've not got a tiebreaker question ready, so, no. Luckily, we have the script book here, and Danny's going to find a, a quick question for us. Everyone can write down your answers. Okay. And just hand right. me a bit of paper. In that. what year did John Benjamin's Slough come out? What year did you write that poem? I've seen Seth's answer. I've seen Seth's answer. So, 1880? I have no idea. I literally so something down. All right, 1980 then. Fuck it. I've received everyone else's guess. What's okay. your guess, Jack? You can just 1948, tell me. 1948, I said. Right, well, Jack, you are the winner by some margin, because it was actually 1937. Really? Yes. It came out in the 1930s. The so what's the current. tournament score now, then, if Jack's won that? Well, the tournament score is... Oh, don't you know? <laughs> right, James and Jack have both now won two. Seth has only won one. Oh, so stitch up. If you win the Just last episode, there. we will we will have a three way tie. Oh, and then yeah, I'll have to get a tie question ready for the whole series. Could we? Can we take the tension? Yes. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll find a way. Okay, so that basically rounds off another episode, the penultimate episode for the Wernham Blog First series. So we wanted to say a big thank you to everybody for listening so far. You've all been absolutely amazing sports. And we know that this isn't maybe the most polished podcast, but we like to think that we have a lot of fun recording it. So hopefully you guys have a lot of fun listening to it. Um, we appreciate we've taken a couple of weeks break. So hopefully this is you know, comes stinging back. Yeah. Uh, with this episode uh, so we've got one more episode which will tie up the first series for us and then we're all looking forward to coming back and doing series two thank you everybody again once again for listening you've all been fantastic we've had so many more views and downloads and subscriptions and, and ratings than we thought we would have and, and numbers aside I mean in terms of the, the, the charts I've just blown away by some of the positive comments that some people have been so friendly and so nice about writing in about you know how they've never thought about this or they're offering us different sort of twists on the episodes that we've not heard before it's been really, really nice to hear some of the other feedback. Um, so, yeah, keep that coming in. Keep us sending us suggestions. And obviously, if it's something we hadn't thought about it, we'll absolutely bring you up and talk about it on the show. So, as Danny said, next week, live quiz. Yeah. We'll run that out and we'll put out some information about that for you guys. Um, but, yeah, great review, subscribe, and thanks for listening. You've listened to the whole thing. That was a waste of an hour. Yeah.